0: artists, musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507-332-7372. Art Zany Radio for the Imagination with your host, Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany Radio for the Imagination.
1: Good morning, this is Paula Grandquist and you're tuned in to Art Zany Radio for the Imagination. I want to thank you so much for listening to the show that celebrates creating and stories and we've got a great one for you today. But first I want to just talk a little bit about one of the things that I think matters for us and that is in art matters is that art connects us. And we need art. And I, I hope if you're listening to this show, you know that. But sometimes it's nice to be reminded of that. And, you know, we have been living in this world that I feel is a little less connected. And we're led to believe that we're divided. I so wish this wasn't true. But I believe that if we spent time listening to and learning from one another, we would know that at our cores, we are more connected than we are fractured. And I keep circling back to the idea that what everyone wants is just to live a good life by our own definitions, enjoy our families and friends, and support each other's dreams it's just a simple equation that shapes the heart and minds of most everyone and our culture magnifies that divide because it helps us feel as if we are in you know we 've made the right choices and I think the pandemic solidified that for us. And some of those perceptions because we kept our circles tight. We wanted to be safe around others and we wanted to hear what assured us we were safe. And as we come out on the other side of all of this, we're just beginning to discover the ways that this undercover time shaped our mental, physical, and social health. We were hanging on, hoping to make it to the other side, and that was exhausting. Now, sometimes it's a little weird to be with other people. Sometimes we're not sure if we should be more cautious. It's really hard to know. I think that we should engage with the arts, and I prescribe listening and and being together. Take some time to practice a something or go see a something or talk about an art experience with others. This is where we will find our way through connecting and talking. And I bet that in every community, there are places where there are people who feel Disconnected and feel out of place or uncomfortable. And I think that in this time, we got to do a little bit to get work each other to be in those places together and be okay with feeling uncomfortable or forgetting names or not remembering, you know, people's connections and just taking time out to just hang out with other people. So, oh. I am very excited to share today's Art Zany Radio story. This is a good friend of Art Zany Radio, and we have been away for a while. I am welcoming best-selling author, humorist, singer-songwriter, and playwright Michael Perry to discuss his new novel, 40 Acres Deep. And this is a story that comes with a warning. It's an intimate telling of the life of a farmer and philosopher, Harold and his struggle to make sense of the world after the death of his wife and child. It's also a story about a relentless winter in the changing rural landscape, a story about making connections in community, living with grief and suicide. Michael Perry lives in rural Wisconsin, and you can find him online at SneezingCow.com He is someone you might recognize from some of his great best-selling titles. His first book, Population 485, continues to be an extraordinary book. It was adapted for stage and produced here in Northfield as well. Truck of Love Story is another one you might remember. Coop, Visiting Tom, and Montan montana i'm gonna get that wrong i i always do that the the philosopher in barn boots (laughs) and um, he's got lots of titles we've talked about the scavengers which is a book for young readers and a few new ones the jesus cow peaceful persistence hunker and of course this new novella 40 acres deep i want to welcome michael to art zany radio thank you michael for being on the show again
2: well, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah it's been, to this.
1: been a pandemic or so since we've gotten together. I wonder, uh, how, how, how did you do in the pandemic, and how did that affect your writing, your productivity, or changes to your wor- worldview?
2: Well, I feel somewhat, I don't know if fortunate is the right word, but um, it affected our family in that about half our income comes from me being on the road performing. Mm. Um but um, we also have pretty low overhead and uh, and we live rurally and we're pretty self-sufficient. And so in some ways, I feel like I was kind of fortunate. Again, I'm not sure that's the right word. But the other thing that happened is that because uh, I couldn't be on the road and we had some income challenges, I went back to my roots, which was uh, I got started by self-publishing. I did self-published my first four books before I got a book deal with a publisher out of New York. And just to be clear, I still have a book under contract right now with HarperCollins and another one under contract with Sourcebooks. So I continue to, to do that. But um, there are certain books that just uh, the publishing industry has evolved and or devolved to the point where uh, sometimes you're just better off Doing it yourself, and so it, during the pandemic, I thought, Well, this would be a good time. I got a couple of I had some collections of newspaper columns that I wanted to publish, and um, a, a major publisher just really isn't interested in those. And that's not a complaint, that's just a, a fact. It's just about business, and unless you're a marquee name, uh, they're probably not going to go for that, and so part of what I did during the pandemic was rediscover self-publishing and we put out a couple of books and then that got us going on a couple of other projects. So another kind of winding long winded answer but I guess just kind of turned it into um as long as I'm stuck here let's get some let's get some work done.
1: And I believe that about you because I think that's one of the things – you are just one of the hardest working writers, and I I love that about you. And and there are probably some listeners out there who also have been writing some of their own stories, and I wonder – what, what is, are some pieces of advice you have or best practices that you've learned over the years about you know, how do you enter the page? How do you, you know, go from your, your life running around to, okay, i got to you know, tell this story or get this idea down or shape this piece? It's, it can be a challenge.
2: It can, although I also have to be careful how I answer this question because I don't don't want to sound insensitive. But for me, it's a combination of several things. One is just growing up blue collar and watching my dad milk the cows every day. And he really didn't (laughs) wait around for anyone to encourage him or to set the (laughs) mood or get the music right. You know, he just did it. Uh, because he had kids to feed, and I'm freelance, and so I, I have deadlines I just have to hit because that's how we pay the mortgage. I, I don't want to sound dramatic. Things are great, and but, but I, I'm i not in a position, uh, you know, I, the joke that I make recently is I've got one kid in college and one kid in braces. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are, <laughs> there's a fundamental push to get the work done uh, that, that I can't really indulge in sitting around waiting to feel right. Um, and then, the other thing I always say I draw on uh, I draw on my nurse 's training and my training as an e m t and that is I use triage <laughs> Ooh,
3: <laughs> which tell. is basically
2: go what absolutely has to be done today, and uh, that 's often how that starts now, having been pretty pragmatic in my response, I also want to make it clear that I just still feel like the luckiest knucklehead ever, because when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do want to do is write. And so I still love that part of it, and, and especially this this novella that we'll talk about in in a little bit. It was my opportunity, again, it was born out of the, the pandemic time. Um, it was my opportunity to just work on something that no one was waiting for, mm-hmm. that I could just throw myself into completely. And it really, the process evoked memories of me as a long haired not very good poet going to the coffee shop thirty years ago and just <laughs> putting everything I had on the page and uh, so yes it's uh, in some ways i 'm inspired by the joke I always make is that my muse is a little bald headed guy named Jim. He sits in a swivel chair nine miles up the road from me at the Shatek State Bank, and he holds my mortgage <laughs> and if i don 't write another book, he takes my house away but um I also am just happy to report that um, once that flow gets going, I, I love it and thrilled to it just like I did when I was in that coffee shop all those years ago.
1: Well, we are the lucky beneficiaries of all of your hard work, and I want to thank you for all that time you've invested in your craft and the stories you've written, the characters you've created. They have stayed with me, and I am willing to read anything that you write, and I think there's a lot of listeners out there that feel that way, too, because I think you're teaching us how to be better folks, you know, be... Uh, more sensitive about the world around us, or just, you know, uh, just have a good laugh, or, uh, you know, just sit down for a good tale. And I wonder if there's a way that you can, uh, and, and one of the things I mentioned in the opening is that the character in this book, 40 Acres Deep, Harold, is a farmer and philosopher. And I felt like I needed to get that in there, because that felt like an important part of who he was. Do you think you can translate your philosophy of life into a phrase or a sentence?
2: Nope. (laughs) And that's kind of my philosophy. And I mean, that's the, I, man, I'm an amateur consumer reader and ponderer of philosophy. I'm terrible. I have terrible recall. I'm terrible at quoting things. I can't even quote my own stuff. Um, And so what I tend to do is read things over and over and around and around. And somewhere in there, I seem to absorb the gist (laughs) at best. (laughs) But I think if anything, I'm just, I'm, probably in that sort of stoic existentialist school where I just feel like um, the one thing I can control is my own my own thinking, my own little tiny corner of the world. Um, although being continuously aware that I'm completely susceptible, susceptible and vulnerable to outside forces beyond my control. And I actually take peace from that because then I realize, you know, I just got one job and that's to try to be do the do as much work on me as I can to, to to try and be a decent person. And by the way, I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm fallible. I'm grumpy. I'm, a, <laughs> you know, I don't always make the right decisions. And you know, I do get a little nervous sometimes with praise. I you know, I'm very grateful for praise. And and I'm grateful that people can read some of the things I've written. And this this Forty Acres Deep, I was unprepared for the the letters uh literal letters that I'm getting from oh. people and to say emails and stuff. And part of it is because I did take a chance. I wrote something that people didn't necessarily expect from me. And, um, it's, it's not my usual fare. but I also just feel like I need to say that some of that, some of that character's negative qualities, you know, they, they come from studying myself. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, philosophy to me, I, I also have to be careful because I don't want to come off as an expert. Like I wrote that, it was fun to hear you try to I, introduce uh, the Mon- Montaigne book.
1: Yeah, thank you. Because, <laughs> the yes, G in there always I actually gets have me. a
2: section. I actually have a section in that book about how to pronounce his name, and um, I've been interviewed by some pretty fancy people about it, and they, a lot of them say montaigne or Montagne, or oh. Montaigne. and I say uh, that's. I respect that, but if you're from where I'm from, it's Montaigne. So
1: exactly. When well, I read I the wrote book too, and I still couldn't.
2: About, <laughs> The title of that book is what I'm really trying to convey, which is, uh, I said, Montaigne and Barn Boots. So, yes, I'm reading a French philosopher. Yes, I'm trying to learn from him. But I'm also uh, at ground level in Barn Boots and not going to, you know, probably revolutionize the field.
1: Exactly. And and that is one of the things that I love is that you're very accessible and you have a lot of fans, especially I think here in Northfield, we often um, show up for your events in great numbers because we adore you. And this book is so important and amazing. But it might, like you mentioned, surprise some of, of your fans. It even comes with a little warning in the first few pages and an alert That if you are struggling with um, any sort of uh, mental health issues or can relate to anything in these pages, don't go it alone. And you have a fabulous reference in the the back of the book. So I think that's really, really an, an important topic, just even to say that up front. And it also warns about the topics in the story, which I mentioned in the intro, Suicide and Infant Death. And my favorite, the profanity warning. <laughs> but you <can> also <laughs> let us know that it's it's absolutely the. Uh, oh, I forgot the phrase in there. It's. The...
2: Well, I think what I said was uh, that this book contains blunt and accurate profanity. Yeah. And that was partly just to let people know because yeah, I, my books there have been profanity in my books. I write nonfiction. I write about real people, you know, and 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 mostly nonfiction. And you know, there's some, but it's pretty few and far between. And in this case, uh I just had to give people a heads up to hey, th- this stuff's gonna be here. And I joked that part of it I part of it was for my mom. um, And I did get an email from her. Uh Um, I'm 58. My mom is in her early 80s. And she she sent me an email. She said, I read that book. It's really good. You did a good job of really studying people and trying to convey their situations. But I wish you didn't have to use that language. And (laughs) of course, my response is that uh, this is the language of tragedy. This is the language of anguish. And Mm -hmm. I've witnessed it firsthand. And so it's one of those deals where I'm not trying to tweak any everybody uh i'm not trying to be provocative uh, good good grief in this day and age the, the little bit of swearing that's in my book is hardly qualifies as provocative no uh, I think but no it's truly it's to speak to the truth of the situation and the people i mean these are folks that i live with and around and besides so
1: it's absolutely – I'm I'm glad you said – I think that my mother would say the same exact thing. So yeah.
2: It's actually – to me, it's actually kind of wonderful because she's a woman of principle, and, and she's just showing me that she's going to stick to those principles. And we love each other very much and have wonderful conversations, so it's not like a lecture. She just – Needs to note it. And that's exactly,
1: fair enough. and and but it does come from this character Harold, who is he's he's angry and grumpy and stoic and all kinds of things. Uh, I I wonder how you prepared yourself to enter his world and to write his story.
2: Well, it was a, as it is with any fiction; it's a combination of complete fabrication, making stuff up. That's one of the things I love about fiction because so much of what I do is nonfiction, and I try real hard to get the facts straight and be accurate but with fiction it's a uh, it's so fun just to express yourself in the moment how you feel um there were scenes i wanted to write there were images i wanted to convey but then of course i'm drawing on you know i'm drawing on my own experiences as a husband i'm drawing uh on a, from a very fundamental standpoint uh this book really was born out of uh, a couple of winters ago i was fighting to save my pole sheds from collapsing And all around me, farmers were losing their sheds, and and in some cases, losing cattle. And in one case, a farmer lost his life. And so one night, in the middle of the night, I'm fighting back and forth between my pole barns, dragging torpedo heaters back and forth. Uh, I've been very public about the fact that I believe that uh, the American literary scene has largely ignored torpedo heaters, (laughs) and I'm here to change that. Um, But one night I'm dragging my torpedo heaters back and forth, sweating and cursing and frantic, and uh, around me already sheds were going down. And I just stopped for a moment and realized, you know, here I am all worked up, and I'm a soft-handed writer with a couple of pole barns with probably containing about 50% junk. And what would it be? What would I feel like if my entire livelihood depended on saving these pole barns? And so there's a case where just a literal moment led to um, uh, an idea for, for a book and a farmer in a certain situation. Yeah. And then, as I said, the, just the character. Like, I, I, one thing I really wanted to write about, and this is honestly the one, I'm getting a lot of letters from husbands. Uh, oh. I wanted to write about a character that, You know, I'm fortunate to say I I take nothing for granted in my marriage. I always say the probationary period is perpetual. Um, (laughs) But I'm happy to say that I have, a you know, I've been blessed with uh, almost 20 years now of a, a, a wonderful marriage. But I wanted to examine the ways that you can fail your partner, even if you are a Boy Scout in the sense that, you know, faithful, loyal and true, nothing sketchy going on. And yet, you can you can do, hit all those marks and still make someone miserable. You can still withhold uh, affection in in odd ways, and and so I, I wanted to examine that. And he he does he's really judging himself pretty harshly on how he how he performed as a husband.
1: Yeah, and I I would have thought it would have been the letters from the wives saying, thank you, hallelujah, somebody's saying the, what what's happening, and I want my husband to read this book.
2: I have had a few of those. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> and, it is... and I
2: wanted to say, I'll just sneak this in, and then we can go, I'm sorry, I don't want to run your interview. But no. It, it really is a, a, a very relentless uh, and dark uh, a book about dark things, but it's also seamed with humor in the sense that, I know how we and people like Harold deal with these things, and there there are humorous scenes and there are you know little mini confrontations both with himself with his equipment uh with outsiders that he's finally forced to interact with um you know there's a there's a little bit of that, and it I've been reading portions of it aloud, and mostly it's silence, but we do get some chuckles too with. There's a particular torpedo heater reference that goes over well.
1: Yes, exactly. We, we will um, let that be left to the readers, folks. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking with Michael Perry, and we're talking about his book, 40 Acres Deep – it is now available. It's a not novella, technically, but a great story. And it is such a beautiful picture of this person, Harold, farmer, philosopher. Um, you know, he feels really outside of the world around him, and his sense of loss and unlived potential has really been magnified because of the place he's in. And that gets even greater uh, there's greater pressure because of the winter that's happening and the relentless snow and you know i i I think you do this a lot in your writing and it's so amazing to me how you open my eyes to things that i've overlooked and suddenly I'm like oh I didn't think about that that way and now I'll never forget that and in Northfield we live in a place that has both small town living and farm life but I don't feel very connected to that life because that's not the life I live but through Harold I got to you know, see what some of those chores are. And like you said, the meaning of if your pole barn goes down and what's in that, what that means for a a farmer. And I can really appreciate him and understand but I got to start because I, I I wasn't even sure what a pole barn looked like. I mean, I think I knew what a pole barn looked like. So your book sent me to the internet and you know, like, I want to look at images of pole barns. What are they? <laughs> They're a lot more than what I first imagined. There are all kinds of styles and <laughs> kinds of um, pole sheds, pole barns. Are they the same?
2: Uh, well, they've evolved like everything else. So the first, time I remember encountering the term pole barn was when my dad built one. the in the 70s, they really started to pop up all over the place. And okay. they were basically wooden poles um, as, an, uh, as a superstructure and then clad in corrugated steel or tin. And the one that my dad built was very basic. And we called it the pole barn. Some people call it the pole shed. Well, now, of course, they've evolved like everything else. And there's even a speaking of the humorous bits in this book uh the uh Harold has an encounter with a very fancy architect who yes. refers to his barn dominion oh, okay. and
1: uh, actually and that's, that's like, a selection I picked out that I would love if you would read a little bit from that is that something I would
2: love if you would tell me what page it's on
1: 27 is where it starts no 28 28 sorry
2: page 28 okay yeah. well maybe i can give that a rip here quick um, yeah, let's
1: go down and let's end with apricots
2: <laughs> okay um so let's see where it ends with apricots yeah i we, don't see that oh i see it now yes okay so and harold is one of these farmers he one of the things he talks about is that so many rural people now that everything has become a side job because you can't, you can't survive a lot of side hustle and harold is one of these farmers that slowly has had to give up bits of his farm and farming and he does a lot of odd jobs and he has a backhoe and he does things like putting culverts and so he has uh, just done a job and it says one of harold's last backhoe jobs was for a wealthy architect who hired him to rearrange a set of decorative boulders amidst the shrubbery surrounding a cavernous riding stable afterward when they were settling up harold said "'Nice pole, Barn.' "'He truly intended the compliment. "'The architect stared at him blankly for a beat, "'then, as if dictating from behind a lectern, declared, "'It is a custom Barn Dominium slash Hippodrome.' "'Harold waited for the slow grin "'that would concede the absurdity of the extravagant jargon, "'but after an uncomfortable straight-faced silence, "'the man slipped an iPhone from his velveteen corduroys "'and said, "'Do you accept Apple Pay?' Omnipresent, Harold thought, were the signs that contemporary culture was leaving him in the dust. Nope, said Harold, and handed the man an invoice scribbled out on a carbon paper slip. Harold kneed his way through the snow, following the unplowed drive path that passed through a gap in the spruce until he could see both pole barns. The news was not good. Each roof was mantled in snow deep enough to frost a tall man's apricot.
1: (laughs) that is so fabulous. <laughs> I hope people understand the reference there. That was <laughs> um and that is that is what this book is full of. Those great, you know, even though it's it's a, a book about a man, you know, with with grief and and anger, there are some really funny moments in it and uh great vocabulary and awesome, you know, metaphors and perfect original uh des- you know, descriptions and you've just c- captured that world so You know perfectly, and I love because when when I read a book that makes me go, I wonder, I need to know more about that, or I had not thought about that. You know, for example, I had to, I was went and and there's a part in here where there's a fisher that shows up, and I was like, I know that critter. It's been a while since my kids have been watching Kratts, and so I'm a little off. So I went and looked up pictures of fishers, took a sidetrack. Stoats was another critter that I was like, oh, I don't even know what that is. Um, you know, I checked the dictionary for ecolalia and mitotic and astringent and other words that just I marveled at. And, um, you know, you also have great vocabulary for machines and tools that Harold used. And I feel like I could highlight every line of every page because there's something. Worth reading, um, whether you just want to be entertained or you want to learn more about how to put together a good story, and you have just developed such great skill at that. And uh, I imagine this book was a challenge to to put together in in uh, getting it to be tight like this. Was was that uh, you know an, an editing marvel?
2: Um, well, two things. One is that the process for me always has been and continues to be, no matter what what I'm writing. Uh, I call it carving concrete with a spoon. Um, (laughs) It goes really, really slowly. All those nice things you said started out as really awful, ugly bits and pieces and run on sentences. And, um, and then the second thing is that, yeah, the privilege of this book for me is that I wasn't on any deadline except my own. And I just said, I'm going to just work every line as long as I want to. and, Still, if I go back, like I'll be reading it at an event or something, and I'll be, had, oh, if I'd have just had one more week with that line, oh, you know. No. <laughs> but, but I do. It. it uh, I just really allowed myself to work this again. I, I think I mentioned that. It just reminded me of the early days when I was a bad poet in a coffee shop thirty years ago. But I was so excited by language and words, and I still feel that excitement. Um, but as a freelancer, I don't always have time to just dwell, bury, and completely absorb myself into what I'm working on. And in this case, I did allow myself that sort of coffee shop vibe, where I just wanted every line not only to read right, but to feel right, it, and to have rhythm. And it hits so the I hope I, I hope yes. I got. I hope I got in the neighborhood anyway.
1: Absolutely. I I think this is going to be a a really fantastic and important book. And uh, I also want to mention one thing I learned about was a lot about chickens. I, I, I've I never had chickens in in my backyard, and I learned a lot about chickens from from Harold. The, the whole idea that the uh, about the protective coating on the exterior of the egg that keeps them safe from bacteria, I'd heard about it, but I never heard anybody talk about it in the way that you did, and the fact that chickens will eat eggs <laughs> if they're you know, oh, yeah. smushed and thrown back yeah. in the shells, if they're thrown back into the coop, I had no idea. Uh, and so you must've grown up with, with, with chickens, I imagine. Um, and, and I kept asking myself, I thought this was an interesting piece of the puzzle for Harold is, um, he has to start taking care of the chickens, but, uh, I, I wondered if he, he missed an opportunity to make friends with them or is that not a possibility when you have chickens? I guess I don't know. (laughs)
2: A couple of things. So oddly enough, I did not grow up with chickens. Oh. I grew up on a, <clears throat> a dairy farm, and we had sheep, and we logged. And um, But my dad never cared for chickens or pigs. And so I had to wait till I got my own little bit of acreage to get chickens and pigs. And, of course, I wrote about that yes. in the book Coop, which is all about us getting chickens and pigs. And that's where I got my so-called chicken knowledge. <laughs> um, as far as making friends, this is going to be tricky because uh, it not everyone's going to agree with me here, but I just, one of my dearest friends and and mentors, a man named Billy Krauss, who some of you would have seen play music with me. um, uh, He just died. And we, uh, we, we had time to, to say all the things we needed to say, but Billy and I both had chickens. I was pretty pragmatic and straightforward with mine. They were here to make eggs. Uh, I wanted them to be happy and well-fed. And, you know, we let them outside every day when we could. And, um, and, you know, treated them fine. But when my chickens, when I would walk out there, if I had a bucket full of feed, they'd run up to me. If I just walked out there, they'd be pretty wary. Um, on the other hand, my friend Billy, when he walked out to his coop, his chickens would run up to him, and he even had one that would jump up so that he could cradle it in his arms. <laughs> so I believe, and there are better chicken experts than me out there, but based on my experience, yes, you can have chickens that will uh show you affection but you it kind of takes a little bit of work and it in my case I just had to do the chores feed them treat them right but they weren't really my pets. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll get emails about chickens.
1: Like, well, it, it it's a good you know it's a good debate, right? <laughs> it's something yeah. that we you know might have No, to... I
2: loved I liked the chickens. I think uh I found them endlessly entertaining and of course we loved the eggs. We just this is the first uh, year in 15 years that we haven't had any we oh. uh, had some we had some family uh, family opportunities that involved some of the folks around here who used to do chores are pursuing uh, opportunities beyond the chicken coop believe it or not and so uh, <laughs> and i'm on the road so much that this year we we took a break from the chicken
1: well, then maybe be when they come back. You'll be longing for them, and, and you'll start something anew.
2: <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll pet them. This yes.
1: Time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so this is this story really is, uh, you know that. Uh, it's it's condensed into a short period of time. There's a storm, you know. There's there's uh, as we mentioned, death is it happens in the first few pages, so we're not giving away too much of of the story by saying that. And then the snowstorm hits, and it gives this character Harold a time to ruminate a bit and uh, figure out what you know what is he going to do. And why is he, you know, here, right? I think that's one of the things he he tries to figure out. Uh, and it's, it's really fascinating to me how you've, uh, it's become a story not only about, um, you know, his, his world, but you mentioned it earlier, his marriage becomes a real feature of this and You know, he talked about how he didn't speak to her about his appreciation or feelings. And I think he's a lot like a lot of folks we might know, as you mentioned, you got in those letters. Uh, You know, his wife reads all these books about meditation and decluttering, yoga, following your dreams. And yet he never engaged with her in it except to sneak a peek at a page or two. Uh, And and it was interesting to me that they each have their philosophies of life. And, um, you know, at the end, when he's reminiscing about, you know, what she used to keep on her nightstand, uh, he says, we all circle cages in ignorance. And it, that was, he's you know, he's really trying to relate and wishing, so wishing he had explored more with her. And so how do we engage with uh, someone like a Harold? <laughs> how do we get to know someone who is more inclined to sort of keep to themselves and be more, you know, ruminating than uh, conversational?
2: Boy, if I knew that, my wife would write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, it's tough. I mean, it's an ongoing thing. As I said, there, this is a made up story. He's a fictional character, Mm -hmm. but I draw on some of my own experience. And yeah, sometimes I just, there's a certain, like, obviously I'm Mm -hmm. a guy who writes about his feelings all the time and talks about it and talks about emotion and connection and regret and hope. And, um, but trying to get me to do that on a day to day basis, at 10 a.m. in the kitchen or while doing chores, there's some sort of emotional stubbornness, to say the least. (laughs) And I don't know if it's a product of my background. I don't know if it's inherent. I don't know if it's, you know, related to nature versus nurture. I don't know. I don't have those answers. But I, I find myself, even having written about it, still baffled by it, that there are times when I can just feel myself digging my emotional heels in, not yelling at anybody, not being nasty, but just not making my inner self available to someone who, frankly, not only has earned access, but deserves that access. And again, I'd love to give you, maybe if I could give you a real good answer, we could go ahead and do a TED Talk and take it on tour and (laughs) make millions of dollars, but uh unfortunately i just have to be really honest about it and say it's an ongoing thing um my wife and i were just talking about this the other day in a, in a friendly uh way um but you know acknowledging that 20 years in there's things that that you still do where you go why are you doing this you know better and <laughs> so i think it's again with harold and maybe and not maybe but and me it, it's not so much that he that he finds answers it's that he's engaging these things and turning them over. You know, one of the things I've always said, I was raised in, a, in a, an obscure fundamentalist Christian sect, and the joke I always make is I like to say that because it makes people nervous.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but the truth is, uh, it was a loving, gentle uh, upbringing. My parents, I, I just, I'll never live up to them. Uh, i 'm grateful every day that I was raised by them, and i 'm grateful how they raised me and that includes in that particular church now, I long ago left that church, and i you know i 've already said today i think that I think the joke that I make is that i 'm a i 'm a bumbling agnostic with traces of amateur existentialism um, <laughs> but of course the it isn 't so much that you ever get the answer. Um, and that's why I had made the joke about if we could just do the TED talk and say five ways to inject yes. humor and connection into your marriage, uh, you know, we could just make many million dollars and probably still not necessarily fix anything. Whereas to me, part of it is just that daily examination. And what I brought up the my upbringing in the fundamentalist church is I'm on very good terms with many folks from that church. They were good to me, but there are some who. They just tut, tut and shake their head and they go, oh, you know, it's just a shame. He's just a little lost lamb. He wandered off. I'm like, no, dude, <laughs> I think about this stuff every day. The difference between you and me is that I didn't decide that I have the answer. And I'm constantly working on, you know, why am I here? How should I act? What should I do? And that's what Harold's doing, I think. He's really trying trying to hold himself to account. Although, as he says in the book, it's a little late now, but
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) nonetheless. So maybe the first thing we can do is prescribe that people pick up a copy of 40 Acres Deep and then have a conversation about it. And. Yeah, you you said something amazing there. Um, and I was so engaged in listening. I, I didn't jot it down uh, about just uh, that the, we think we have the answers. And, and that is part of the problem is that we don't uh, open ourselves to the opportunity of maybe I don't understand. Let me ask a few questions. Let me, you know, probe here. Let me think about this. Let me engage with it. And that might it might just be as simple as that.
2: Yeah, yeah, and the familiarity thing, you know, one of my favorite stories about my wife is I was doing an event one time. It was a split event where, and I think maybe we did one of these in Northfield once. I come out for 45 minutes and tell stories and read from the books, and then the band comes out. And yeah, did 45 you did. Minutes. Yeah, and my wife, uh, she's heard plenty from me. <laughs> but she really likes the folks in the band. They've become friends, right? So I was doing an event nearby our farm, and so she went to the venue. She didn't come for the first half to hear me, <clears throat> cause she really feels like she's, she's good with that. <laughs> um, but she came right around when she thought intermission would be to just uh, see the band and then watch the band. And so she shows up in where the band is waiting. I'm still out on stage, regaling the audience with my sensitivity and my humor and my (laughs) insights, And my wife walks in on the band and says, is he still out there yapping? (laughs) (laughs) And that's become one of my all-time favorite, you know, just so you know, it's great that you're all these things, but what are you every day? And um, so my wife is really, I'm very blessed with someone who's very grounded, very, uh she just makes me better all the time but that doesn't mean that she makes it easy all the
1: time. <laughs> that that is that is good that is a great story i love that <laughs> and you know harold has a i think if his philosophy of life might be something along the you know you can solve anything right by hard work and you know physical work was you know that that mental work was a little harder i think and that he he which is one of the things that he pursues in this book and i, I don't want to go too much into it because it's so great how he um the decisions he makes based on what's happening on the farm um and you know he even he even says on work harder was the answer to everything not just work but work harder was the answer to everything and he gets such great satisfaction in accomplishing any job but it's always those solo jobs that he enjoys the most and in fact he's a little awkward around others and you know, reading about this loneliness that he had just just because of his experiences and, you know, how we've allowed those gaps to to come into our world. And, you know, one of the saddest lines in the book to me was when he says that no one noticed that the driveway hadn't been shoveled and no one came to the door after, you know, they noticed that and hiked up the driveway to check on Harold. There's a line in the book that says, waited just long enough not to be nosy, checked in just soon enough to be neighborly is what they you know that was kind of the before time that that was what people did there's sort of sort, you know you, you give them a little space but then you know you want to check on them um i i wonder if we need more of that that sort of just basic neighborliness in our world and um if that's something you're finding in in the rural community and why why you put it in the book in in harold's story
2: yeah. I mean, this whole <clears throat> book and Harold's, uh, and, 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 and this comes up very early in the book cause he's, yes. he's really also trying to, you know, strike that balance between wishing for a time when things were more neighborly, but also acknowledging that, you know, just reminiscing and relying on nostalgia is also a trap.
3: Yeah.
2: And he's rejecting a lot of that stuff. And so I think, you know, for me it's kind of the same. I, I have, uh, we we live in a pretty isolated place. I'm, believe it or not, for all my yapping and writing and performing, I'm very shy. I'm very much a loner. I'm happiest in my little room just doing my thing. Um, I've learned to very much enjoy performing, and I love being able to shake a reader's hand and look that person in the eye and thank them. But in the interim, I would prefer just to be on my own. So I've never been a very good socializer. But where we live here, we have some new neighbors in big fancy houses we also have some old timers uh, just down the hill um, and I make an attempt and it's not always easy but I you know we just had someone build a house and move in and I stopped over and just introduced myself and I told him I said you know mostly I just you probably won't see me I keep to myself <laughs> but I said but if you're in a jam or you need something uh, you know here's our number and and give us the call and I've tried to do that, and in return, I get you know my roughneck neighbor down the hill. He's he he's he's pretty rough around the edges, but of course, I'm super comfortable shooting the breeze with him because it's just like talking to my brothers or the people that I grew up with. And he also is one of these guys that you know I can call him from the road and say, "Hey, man, my chicken coop door blew open, or whatever, <laughs> or could you run up and feed the chickens?" And he'll just jump in his four wheeler and do it. So. I do think, I don't want to get too rosy about the quote unquote good old days. We all know the problems with that statement. Uh, kind of depends on who you were, doesn't it? But, mm-hmm. um, uh, that said, yeah, I mean, more face to face human communication, uh, I believe in general it would, would certainly help. Um, and, and honestly, more in just the small things. Like, I like that. I've, I've got friends. I have dear friends that I talk to maybe once every, I don't know, let's just say once a year. But they're also the friends that I know that today if I call them and said, hey, everything just went to heck, um, they would be here in person. And I remember having that discussion, one of my daughters when she was in high school and going through all the social media madness. And, mm-hmm. um, and there was she had posted something and then she was checking to see how many people liked it. Mm. And she had also been going through another thing, nothing too dramatic, just classic, you know. And and I just remember sitting down with her, and I'm going to sound maybe like a jerk when I tell the story uh, on the phone, but I, I was gentle about it, but I just sat down with her and I said, you see, uh, she said, this got 76 likes or whatever. And I said, so let's look at a list of those 76 people. I said, how many of these people – would show up in the next ten minutes if you told them that you were in trouble. Right. And 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 then we moved on. It wasn't. I didn't like grandstand or anything. But you know, m- much time later, she told me that that made an impression. And I think I'm. You know, again, I'm trying to do that for myself. I need to do a better job of making those connections. I have some. But yeah. yeah. I won't fix everything, but it definitely would. It certainly make the day to day better.
1: I think that yeah and I think that's part of what the what the book is showing and there is so much in this book you write so beautifully about winter in here I just um, there's so many sections that, that talk about the way the snow looks or the the way you, you, you know, when you walk through it or shoveling it. And um, it becomes another character in, in the book, I think, because it's so rich. So I want people to read it for that. Maybe not when it's in the middle of a snowstorm, but <laughs> a summer day it might be. <laughs> well, you could, hold the,
2: you could hold the book up against the window and see if it matches. Like <laughs> I will say that's you know, maybe this is a little self-indulgent, but another reason I wanted to write this book we've been talking about all the heavy stuff but I just had such a des- I had scenes in my head that I so wanted to write like what a what a herd of deer looks like in the moonlight black yeah. against the snow um what hoarfrost looks like in the morning and then when the first little puff of breeze comes and how it all just scintillates and cyclones around through the air and so yeah there is a lot of that where never mind the great existential questions of our age I just wanted to write about snow drifts man.
1: Yeah and there's I mean there's this great scene where um I'm trying to remember the page now it talks about the the um snow like dune like with undulations and corrugations which is just took my breath away absolutely took my breath away and so that's worth reading this book there's so much in this very small I love that it's like this this you know little book you could if you had a big enough Pants jeans pocket, you could fit it in there. Um,
2: (laughs) And if I may, I try not to brag, but I'm going to brag on the look of the the cover. It's just it's gorgeous, and I can brag on it because I didn't do that. Uh, I have a friend who's a graphic designer in uh, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He's from up north. He's an up north guy, and he and his uh, partner in the business is is a photographer, and they took one of the photographer's photos and just made a cover that absolutely captures the feel of the book and, and implies some of the trouble in the book and yet allows Mm -hmm. for beauty and I love what they did with
1: it. I think you're absolutely right. So I want to encourage our listeners to go pick up a copy of okay. Forty Acres Deep by Michael Perry. We could probably talk for another hour. There's so much in this wonderful book. Yeah. <laughs> I just loved it. If
2: I may, I don't know. I don't know if you're up against the hard. No, stop we're good. No, here, but... we're good.
1: I was trying to get you out in your time. So.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I just want to say that I know that in Northfield, there you've got a wonderful bookstore. Yes, Content and Bookstore. Yeah. Yeah, and so, um, I always I was brought into existence, hand sold into existence by independent bookstores. So I wanna make sure we've been in contact with them and, and, and they'll be coming? getting the book. I the one thing I do need to say is that the distributor for independent booksellers uh sometimes there can be a little bit of backlog but content is well aware of this book and i believe they have some on the way
3: Perfect. and then if
2: you're not if you're if you're listening from outside the area because these days folks do listen from all over the world um That's
3: right.
2: uh just go to sneezing sneezingcow.com sneezing com, and there's a little header that says latest news and we just condense all the information about the new book and i have a new I have a, a little mini podcast that goes out every week, uh, which I just talk to folks and, uh, and all the books. and So com. But <clears throat> if you're in the Northfield area, please do. Swing by Content Bookstore. If I lived there, I'd be there every day.
1: I, yeah, it's a very dangerous place for the for, because <laughs> <laughs> You can find a lot, and I want to mention Hunker, which I know that they do have. I went there to go buy oh, yeah. it uh, about a month ago, and we couldn't find it. And it, it took us a few minutes. It was up on the staff recommendations shelf. So,
2: oh wow, um, wonderful.
1: Yeah, that was it. And and that is a just a, this must be a collection of you mentioned just some little <laughs> essays, and it's so great to just keep around and you just, you know, you got five minutes to wait at the doctor's office and you can read a quick little little ditty that will make you smile or chuckle or... So
2: you're being very kind and high-minded, but as someone told me, and I'm just going to say it, it's it's a great bathroom book.
1: <laughs> I didn't want to say that.
2: <laughs> right, This guy said it, and then he got all... Embarrassed, He said, oh, I didn't. I said, man, I don't care where you read it. <laughs> so, <yeah>. so,
1: <laughs> yeah, they are very yeah. powerful. And again, Punk- you do this great uh, job of having within just, you know, a page or two of it, making a story just have this great, powerful ending. It just it, it's a great turn at the end. Always. I love them.
2: A lot more humor in that uh, yeah, one, yeah. too, uh, than, than necessarily in 40 Acres,
1: yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to explore, and you really can trust an author like Michael Perry, so you should read everything that he's ever written. That's my advice for today. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. I just adored, adored this time and feel so lucky to be able to have shared your story, and hopefully we'll get more readers out there uh, reading 40 Acres Deep and talking.
2: Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it.
1: I hope you get to come to Northfield soon.
2: Uh, we're working on it. Okay. Yes. I
1: got my fingers crossed. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. Folks, this is Art Zany Radio for the Imagination. I thank you so much for being uh, listening to the show, and what a wonderful opportunity we had there to to visit with Michael Perry. I want to remind you that the uh, Arts Guild show, the the young students' work at the uh, main gallery, the wonderful. Um, all student, all school arts show is now open through March 11th. So go grab a look at that before that gets taken down. And also, the uh, play at the Northfield Arts Guild is open now through this is the last weekend of playing at in Ibsen's Dollhouse, and you want to go see that. So you can get tickets at northfieldartsguild.org. I appreciate all of you listening and hope that you always find time to add more Art zany t- in your life. And in the meantime, until next time, enjoy your imagination.
0: You've been listening to Art Zany radio for the imagination, with your host, Paula Grandquist. Art Zany is brought to you each week by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault.
1: Connect and experience art at the Northfield Arts Guild. Visit our galleries, arts festival, and take in a performance at our theater featuring a full season of dramas, comedies, and musicals. The Guild's gift shop showcases unique art from over 100 local and regional member artists. Come enjoy music from the Cannon Valley Regional Orchestra or the 411 Concert Series. We invite you to explore your creativity in one of our classes. All are welcome at the Northfield Arts Guild. To learn how you can be a part, visit northfieldartsguild.org or call 507-645-8877. Do
3: you have-